0: This is Dojo Live, tech without borders, stories that bring us together.
1: Good afternoon everyone welcome to another episode of dojo live today is tuesday september 14th 2021 i'm tulio sergusa broadcasting from southern california joined by carlos Ponce in cornavaca mexico and kim lantis in Hermosillo, mexico hi guys welcome back
2: oh hey. and
1: it's our sure guest to today this ever. is michael o'neill who is uh the uh co-founder Founder and CEO at GetWell Network, and also an active member of Graybridge. Hi, welcome to the show, Michael. Who's tuning in from Washington, DC.
2: Hey, thanks, Tulio and uh, Team Dojo. It's a pleasure to be here today with you.
1: Today we're talking about a very important topic. Something that's uh, been a bit of a difficult conversation for at least our country for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And that is um, building bridges to racial unity. Is it possible? Can we actually really ever get there? That's what we're going to talk about today and specifically how digital connection and engagement can impact for us to have stronger communities. But before we go into that uh, conversation, uh, let's get to know our guest a little bit. So Michael, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you.
2: So my name, as you said, is Michael O'Neill. I actually live in Washington, D.C. You're actually about half a mile from the D.C. border in a town called Chevy Chase, Maryland. Uh, I grew up in New York. I'm in the middle of five kids over six and a half years. My dad was an O'Neill. My mom was an Esposito. So we had like a big, emotional, crazy circus of an uh, Irish-Italian uh, Catholic family growing up in New York kind of one for all, all for one. And so- um,
0: You lived like eight years of diapers nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Your trash can never blew over in the windstorms. <laughs> well, well,
2: well, well, all I remember is like pouring a box of Cheerios was out on the table and us just kind of scrapping as <laughs> fast as we could. So it was, it was that, that, that kind of house, but uh, a, a lot of fun growing up. I went to school out in Notre Dame, so I got a taste of the Midwest. And for a Northeast boy, uh, raced as fast as I could back to Manhattan. Um, uh, worked for a bit for, uh, for, uh, Donnie Deutsch, who's a very famous, uh, ad guy in New York, Learned the craft of understanding brands and markets and positioning and people and why they buy things and do things whatever the case may be. And, um, and so it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey.
1: Thanks for the introduction. As I was hearing, I was like fast forwarding thinking, my little one, this is how she's going to introduce ourselves growing up in a half Jewish, half Christian, uh, uh, half Italian, half Irish household. Uh, That's going to be something to unfold at that point when she grows up, right? So tell us a little bit about Gelwell Network and Greybridge.
2: So with Gelwell Network, you know, when I was uh, 28 years old, I... um, was at graduate school in DC uh, at Georgetown studying uh, for a law and business degree and was uh, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about three months after I was engaged. So I was putting, who is now my wife of 21 years, uh, Wendy Eskandarian I put her through an early test. That was, I guess, mm-hmm. part, part of the objective. And so I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. And I went through a bunch of uh, surgery and chemotherapy and a lot of you know, kind of cancer club craziness and uh, came around the following as in the spring came around in the fall with a bald head and about 10 pounds lighter from my treatments and had one more year left in grad school and decided to spend um, the limited talent that I clearly have and any time that I clearly had um, left, if you will, on figuring out how to make it better for the next person up. I had had a wonderful medical outcome but a far less than wonderful experience from a patient and family standpoint, and decided that we, th- we we felt there was both a need and an opportunity to take technology, and to find a way to embed it into the healthcare process to help people take a more active role in their health journey, and that mission really became the company GetWell Network um, that I launched uh, on August first of two thousand, which I know sounds like eons and worlds and lives ago, which it is. And so 20 years later, um, we work, we touch about 10 million healthcare patients a year with a portfolio of consumer engagement tools and content uh, around the world, across the US, in the Middle East, Australia, Canada. And we help people truly take um, a more active role in their healthcare path and journey. And so we educate them on their meds, we help them communicate and connect with their doctors more effectively and efficiently. um, And we actually help these organizations providing care deliver what we call in the industry kind of patient or people-centered care because too often um, while we always say that we want to deliver patient-centered care, the patient feels on the outside looking in and the system around us doesn't really afford for us to be able to do that. So we help organizations um, deliver the kind of care that they're amazing clinicians. We're both born and trained to deliver. Excellent.
1: What an amazing journey. And what about Greybridge? What uh, does the company?
2: So Greybridge actually is a uh, nonprofit uh, that was launched um, about two weeks after uh, George Floyd's um, uh, death in Minneapolis in uh, May of 2020. Um, Candidly, uh, a week within a week after George Floyd's uh, murder, uh, myself and my uh, two teenage girls were downtown at a rally here in D.C., Um, A day after that, we sat uh, just with my four-person family, my wife, Wendy, and my daughters, Cal and Ava, uh, with a lot of tears and a lot of um, anxiety and a lot of um, just confusion and darkness around uh, around everything that was kind of happening in the world. We took the step to kind of reach out to a couple of our kind of dear friends of color to simply ask whether or not they'd be willing to allow us to kind of share space uh, with them. This is the middle of a pandemic, the world was upside down. As you all know, they clearly were spending time with their family and friends and communities, but we asked for some space that turned into uh, a week after George Floyd's murder turned into a every other Wednesday zoom call for 90 minutes with 10 families. That's been now going on for 17 months. Um, and that call began just with a group of 10 families, both parents and kids um, just sharing experience, being vulnerable, uh, talking about what we were experiencing, feeling, Ah, uh, the world we want versus the world that we actually are living in right now, and then what might we collectively do about it? And that conversation led to an insight around human connection that we all had together, but not everybody had. If we all had these meaningful connections with people of different races, might that be a foundation to start down a path of racial unity? And what could this group of ten families uh, begin to do um, to help people kind of start down that path? And that became uh, Graybridge. Wow, amazing. All right, let's go right into the
1: topic today because uh, so much to unpack and learn from this. Uh, let's kick it off. Kim?
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you so much, Michael, for being here. So the topic as chosen by you, which um, I think Tulio mentioned earlier in the show, is building bridges to racial unity, how digital connection and engagement can impact racial equity and build stronger communities. So I'm going out on a limb here, taking a hunch that all of your experience with GetWell Network led up, I think, to a lot of how to start building this network. But with this digital connection that you're talking about and these 10 families, are you all located? My question is, are you located all in the D.C. area or is this something now that's growing um, or at least has the ability to grow all across the country and even the world?
2: Yeah, so uh, so Graybridge started with 10 families here and what we call the DMV, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia, kind of inside the beltway, if you will. So families kind of close to DC. Um, we quickly stood up a national youth board um, and really kind of flipped governance on its head. Um, it was so clear from some of our children who actually are in high school and college that uh, they want to live in a world that we have failed to create for them—that um, okay. one that is more inclusive, one that is more just, one that is more equitable—and so we kind of flip governance on its head. Um, asked them to kind of form a national youth board of actually emerging young leaders, activists, and change agents. Um, and that happened over a three to four week period. And that national youth board that my daughter Calla serves on and helps to chair—we um, have students from Spelman College in Atlanta. We have students from John J. Criminal Justice College in the Bronx. We have a great uh, attract star down at North University of North Texas, and so through our youth board, we kind of quickly kind of became, you know, a national organization of people kind of coming together um, to help do something we believe could be a breakthrough approach to like the DEI efforts that many of us have been a part of at our in our in our homes, at our work, in our school. Um, but we actually felt like there were some real gaps um, in the way that DEI was being um, implemented. And thought that if we actually could take a complementary grassroots, new age digital approach to diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, we thought we could accelerate the impact, you know, of both the existing efforts and these new ones um, on these communities.
3: Michael, um, you launched uh, Get Well Network, what almost twenty years ago, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so and be, and this is because we're talking, we're discussing building bridges to racial unity and digital connection and engagement. My question to you would be, from in, since inception to the present day, where do you find that it's uh, more challenging to achieve the goals that you founded the company for back in back in that day, or the present time, or somewhere in between? So I, mm. I'm just trying to understand you know, where the, both the, the tech part and also the, the social aspect part converge better. Yeah.
2: yeah well, so, so, so these things actually really, it's almost been um, uh, this evolution that you wanted to be a revolution, right? So, so when, when, when we first started the company, I was a 28 uh, year old, um, recently completed uh, six rounds of chemotherapy. I had a bald head, but a lot of fire and just thought that like overnight um, who, who wouldn't want the healthcare experience to be different. So we were gonna be able to transform the healthcare industry using technology and consumer engagement and really drive the convergence of these two things um, into in, the into industry. Um, I, I will tell you quite humbly, it took us um, 12 years to get 40 clients. And these are health systems, you know, who actually provide care. Then mm-hmm. it took us five years to get 500 more. So this, so, so, so figuring out how to have impact in these entrenched industries using technology and consumer engagement has not been an overnight success. You know, um, it took a long time. So I would say that in many ways, it's actually easier today than it was back then because the barriers to embracing and implementing digital tools in okay. these entrenched industries have actually come down. In particular the last year and a half, you know, COVID's been, of course, um, so much pain, so much loss, you know, um, uh, and so much strain and stress on both consumers of health and also providers of health. However, what it has done is completely break the paradigm of hesitation and inertia in this very old, entrenched, and difficult to work in industry of healthcare and the business of healthcare. It's broken all the barriers down. You better figure out a way to adopt digital tools to help people stay safe at home. Help them be informed about what they should be doing, and to only come in when they absolutely need to. Because the safest place for you to be cared for is at your home,
3: mm-hmm. unless
2: you actually need and absolutely need, you know, uh, a certain level of care that can only be provided in the hospital. And so, I will tell you that it's been it's easier today than it is in the past for those reasons. Um, on the racial unity side, you know, interestingly enough, you know, um, a lot of this work that we do at Get Well Network has led to this moment for me and for the work we're doing now on the Graybridge front. Over the last year and a half at Get Well Network, we have pushed all of our chips in into attacking health equities or health inequities, in particular as it pertains to access to great health, to wrapping our digital arms around underserved communities who have been left to kind of fend for themselves in the past. And so we have, we have learned how to engage people digitally in their healthcare journey we've now applied that to um, a population of mothers on Medicaid who are having their first child and how can we actually help them navigate through, you know, um, their nine months of pregnancy? How do we actually prevent preterm labor and prevent days in NICUs and really help, you know, both mothers and babies stay healthy through their journey by providing the right information, by surrounding them with care navigators, by connecting with them digitally, if you will. That work has led um, pretty directly to this work now on the Greybridge front to say, Hey, we know the kind of tools and platforms. We know the engagement kind of tools of the trade to kind of get people to engage. Um, and let's go apply this um, into companies, and into schools to really help them uh, create communities of unity that we know they're striving for. We're having a hard time kind of moving the needle on, if you will. So it's, it's um I'd say it's easier today than it was before. Um, but man, this is, this is, this is a long game that we're playing. This is not, um, this is this is nothing you run into turn a switch on and things work uh, this is a journey you know uh, for sure
3: absolutely yeah that's amazing so thank you okay uh so kim i think you had a yeah
0: question? i think you actually kind of touched on what i was asking or going to ask rather and kind of unifying these two themes of racial uh inequity and then um, access to healthcare, right? So you've got Graybridge and and GetWell Network, which which reminded me actually of a past guest who um, perhaps you've heard of him, I don't know, uh, Vic Bakru who is the COO of a company called Consejo Sano. And so what they kind of do in, the, in, in line I think with what you're doing um, is help other people um, uh, better understand, I think they're Medicaid and Medicare, right? Particularly yep. like cross languages um, and things and age gaps. And also, um, so I think it's, you, you should, you guys could probably make a really another network here. For sure. um, but it's, and we've even had conversations about that inequality in, in the finance world as well. So perhaps with some of the conversations you've had at Graybridge, uh what have you seen? What have people shared with us about the differences and perhaps the treatment that they're receiving in a in the medical world?
2: Yeah, so so, so let me kind of share a little bit on both sides of this. So on the where world, what we're being asked to do these days by uh, large healthcare providers and payers who are responsible for large underserved populations is to um, we get a panel of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, for example, um, uh, again, mothers on Medicaid, for example, right? Um, we take this panel and we use an AI-driven conversational SMS platform that we actually have created, and we reach out to them to introduce ourselves, uh, let them know we are here for them, and we actually hire virtual but local care navigators in market who know the neighborhoods Know the, know the local vernacular, know where the grocery store is, know where the clinic is, whatever the case may be, and we begin to build out um, 360 patient profiles to understand um, they don't have transportation or they, don't, or, or, they, or they live with their elderly father and they can't leave him for more than an hour and a half, whatever the kind of things may be. When we know holistically what a person's situation actually is, with what, what they call in the industry social determinants of health, when you actually can, when you reach out and talk to people and you understand um, what they're dealing with from both an opportunity and challenge standpoint, you can really help to begin to give them the kind of access to care they need to have the very best outcome for themselves. So on the healthcare side and get well network, that is the work that we are doing and we are measuring like crazy, the impact on a person's um, um, satisfaction on a person's quality and safety outcomes on a person's access to care kind of through these tools, if you will. And we're just seeing the engagement rates, in the Latinx community of seventy four percent, in the African American community seventy two percent is actually outstripping. You know, in the same markets, um, the folks we're actually serving uh, who happen to not be uh, people of color or or in other communities that we're actually reaching out to. So we're seeing some tremendous success in understanding how to place local, high trust, knowledgeable people in market, arm them with tools, do the outreach, and pull people in. That's on the on the healthcare side.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: On the gray bridge side it's quite a different challenge. you know. What we studied for about six months with our Graybridge founding community was inside of companies and schools, um, what are the current diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives that are going on inside these organizations? And where are the gaps holding us back from having the accelerated impact that all of us who are living you know, in this troubled world wanna have? And the two things we actually found were crystal clear. Number one, they're simply not going fast enough. So we talked to a university, the head of, head of D&I, and they would say to us, hey, listen, over 2021, 2022, we're going to be serving our, our staff, our faculty, and our students around whether or not they believe we have a community that um, that speaks to kind of racial justice and equity. And my reaction to that is that's wonderful you're surveying them, but the fact that that's going to happen over 18 months, our students in the fact that they're living this world six times faster than we're actually like implementing the initiatives. And so we actually felt that pace was slower, top down, than what the grassroots people living it wanted wanted to actually make movement on. That was the first thing. And the second thing actually was, it was a very um, patriarchal approach, right, to DEI. Like we find a workshop and we make our employees go to it for three hours about implicit bias or about structural racism. And these are not bad things. We are rooting for all of them. But again, we believe through our work at Graybridge and the families and our experiences that lived experience versus teaching down. So, so lived experience sharing number one as a way to drive understanding, you know, um, and then um, it's a personal journey. So, how can we actually enhance and, and 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 invite people onto a personal journey of discovery, of understanding, of empathy, of action to complement these top-down approaches? And so. What Greybridge was created to do was to complement these existing DEI initiatives in companies and schools to accelerate their impact. And that's the work that we're doing, and it is hard, very hard.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, education plays a big role on both sides, right? Yeah. It's, it's learning what is it that you don't know that you're not aware of, that you can't connect to uh, yep. as someone potentially who's never experienced racial inequ- uh, inequity, right? Yeah. You just don't connect to it. It's like, I don't get it. Well, yeah. you know, you're not going to get it just theorizing or reading a book. You're going to have to speak to people who can share with you real life experiences. Exactly right. And even then, you can only get to a place of sympathizing, empathizing, but you never really understand it fully because you didn't live it. So there's a big challenge, obviously, there to do that. What are you finding? And my question is, how are, how is that being how's that gap being bridged? That,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that clear?
1: Okay. I mean, that to me, that seems to be the bigger gap, right? Yeah. Is one is educating uh, what is available to you if you're of color or if you're a minority, et cetera, right? So educating you to, to be able to, to operate and have access to all the things that everyone else has access to, right? The other is educating why that happened to begin with, why that yeah. inequality happened to begin with, where that bias happened to begin with. And Is that the bigger gap? I'm just curious what's being done to address that.
2: Yeah, you make great points. So so first, uh, let me be just clear on the acknowledgement that the issue of racial justice and equity is vast and complicated with a lot of layers, both vertically and horizontally. And we at Graybridge would never pretend for a second that we are going to take on the vastness and complexity of the entire issue of racial justice and equity. I say that to tell you that there are the component and the layer that we are taking on is very clear. And that is our thesis is, if if we can help you create a meaningful connection with a person of a different race, that meaningful connection will be a spark that leads to more understanding, more empathy, and more positive action in your community. So, 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 so the first thing I would tell you is, this is the slice of this really complicated, or this piece of this really complicated puzzle that we believe we can have a big impact on. Now I say that to kind of say, when it comes to the education, the content that we have on our app, we are moving aggressively towards exclusively lived experience content not because we don't think that people need to ultimately understand the past and the complexities of structural racism and implicit bias, you know, and, and, and things like this, but that's not what we're going to take on. What we're going to take on is a, we're going to, we're going to teach you about those issues, but we're going to do it through the lens of lived experience so that we don't get caught up in the candidly, the argument, the inertia of what exactly should be taught. It's not that we don't care, but for our purposes, we just want to make sure that a me as a fifty as a fifty year old on a a white male, um, let me spend some time um, listening to and and hearing from a lived experience of people that don't look like me who have very different backgrounds. Number one, number two, with that common understanding that we are so now going to have through through these initial kind of we call them discover modules. Now we're actually going to challenge you. We have these three connect challenges in our, and we have a pilot going on in the fall of about a thousand people across ten organizations. So you've just completed these six discover modules, and now I'm actually going to give you three connect challenges. I'm going, I'm going to challenge you to connect with people that don't look like you. And I'm going to do it on that seems very simple. One of the challenges is a recipe swap. So I'm Irish and Italian. I'm actually going to share. With somebody who's Indian or somebody who's African American or someone who actually who's Jewish or whatever the thing may be, I'm gonna share with you um, a recipe that we make at home and why it's important to me and my family. And you're gonna do the same. And through that, we're gonna tell stories about a family and who makes this. And my grandmother taught me this. And here's her recipe for sauce, and here's why she actually puts the sugar into it first, or whatever the thing may be. <laughs> I'm gonna snap a photo, I'm gonna upload this to kind of earn points. So I'm becoming a Gray Bridge builder by completing my Discover modules, by taking on my Connect challenges, and then taking on an impact mission in my community. And the idea of this and and, and where the engagement in digital comes in is we believe the combination of these new age engagement tools and this gamification. So I'm doing these modules, I'm earning points, and I can become a Bridge builder. I can get this cool gear when I'm actually done.
1: Love it. You give away the secret to what makes a great Sicilian sauce. Sugar. <laughs> sugar. Sugar. That's the secret recipe to making a great sauce, adding
3: sugar I into
0: it. love this. This reminds me of a dynamic that I experienced about 20 years ago. Um, I happened to be in Kenya, actually. And we were in a small group, and we were talking about the Bible verse that I think almost everyone knows, whether you're of the Christian faith or not. And that's the, I for truly I tell you, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move from here to there and that mountain will move, right? And so as we were visualizing this, uh, one of the leaders put a pile of mustard seeds in another person's hand and they're like, spread the seed. And so this was on one side of the room and then the other side of the room, they did the same thing, but added a different tip. And so on the one side, this person is taking a single seed Kind of struggling to get a hold of it, and hand to hand to hand, and on the other side, what he did was, here are your seeds, here are your seeds, here are your seeds, and then suddenly you've got five, six, seven, eight people all passing out seeds, and clearly that half of the room, everyone had their seed much faster, Uh, and so this is what I see Graybridge is doing with this this personal connection, like let me share my story, and now here's these stories, and here's these stories, and then of just having this, like you mentioned earlier. This top down saying this is the history, this is the way it needs to be done. Now we're taking this entire foundation, and I think moving it upward. And to me, that is absolutely innovative. Kudos for that, um, and to all the people in your network. I'm actually going to be checking it out myself um, to help spread that that fire. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, we we I, all need that. I'm blown I, I,
1: away by the experiential learning. Experience that you guys are offering, and I can't help but think how antiquated our entire educational system is oh based goodness. on repetition. All we learn is repetition. I wonder how much more that experiential learning, if we brought that into the schools, could expand so much more beyond just even the racial inequity. I mean, you guys have cracked the code on something that is is phenomenal, that's the best way people learn.
2: Oh, uh, right? it's so funny. I, I have. Um, I know everyone thinks it's about their children, but I have this uh, remarkable 18-year-old daughter who finished her freshman year in high school at the um, very top of her class and decided to leave that school and go to a a new age uh, startup school that by design was fully integrated, uh, global in its approach, and experiential. You know, knowing full well that it may ruin her chances to get into some colleges that would take the traditional she didn't even have grades, right? right? But 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 to to watch she and, and her cohort of kids who took the leap to do this um, for three years. She's a senior now at, at the school in DC, to watch um, the way they think about world issues, the way they collaborate with actually others both in the school and outside the school, like I think you're I think you're dead on. I, I think this experiential learning and this integrated approach, the Memorizing the order of the wars that happened three millennials ago—it's—I I can do this in three seconds. Here, I can literally punch it in. I—I don't—I don't need to learn this anymore. I can right. find it in three seconds. The question for our day really is: How do people actually collaborate and problem solve? You know, um, together. You know, how uh, do people welcome in new ideas? Be able to confidently share theirs but be open to others. Like these are the things that have to happen for us to be able to move the world forward. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think there's an experiential learning, a project-based learning a curriculum and framework, you know, um, that needs to more and more be embedded into how we teach young people. Um, anyway, and that's certainly what we've embraced, you know, on, on, in the Great Bridge Journey for sure.
1: Yeah, amazing, amazing. I mean, that's want to teach people emotional intelligence. This is the way. No kidding. I mean, this is absolutely the way. We're running out of time. We've got, <laughs> we could go on for hours and talk about this, uh, but before we wrap up. What's this journey been like for you and the people involved, beginning with us about almost a year ago, a little over a year ago? What have been the, the, the hurdles and challenges and things you've learned even about yourself going through this?
2: So I think the first thing is, um, is profoundly uh, personal, and that is, you know, through my cancer experience, we spend most of our time and energy um, uh, moving towards light and bringing light. And I had posted a WhatsApp message to a group of CEOs who I do a bunch of work with here in the DMV a couple of days after um, George Floyd's death that candidly was very biting. It was like, hey, why the heck are we talking about PPP loans? Like, why the hell aren't we doing something you know, about this right now? And my wife caught me and said, Michael, we, you spend all of your energy um, with constructive change. So, you better figure out whatever you need to do to like take a step back. Like you lashing out at people for not doing something <laughs> is not the answer. Like let's take a step back and figure out, you know how you want to channel you know this into something constructive. And so I guess the the, the the most profound thing that I learned is that there are so many people um, who actually are willing to take another job on top of the job to create change. You have to be vulnerable enough and open enough. You know, to kind of take a risk, um, invite them in, admit that you don't know everything, but you want to actually be a part of something. You don't need to actually lead it, you want to be a part of it. And so I learned a lot about making sure that when I'm feeling pain, um, man, like there's no better catalyst for bringing light when the pain is the deepest. And it's been a pretty um, amazing run like that. The only other thing I say, not to be too long winded, is we also have found, you know, people throw this notion of like, oh yeah, this group of friends, they a family. People throw the word family around lightly. Where I'm from and the way I grew up, we don't, you know? Um, but, but, but this is the Graybridge family now. And I have a get well family. And I've got an O'Neill family. And like this actually defines um, my life and like where I get my most energy from is kind of people coming together, rooting for each other and driving impact, not in a day, but like over a sustained amount of time. Cause that's what it takes to tackle the hard stuff. You know, big change comes from a series of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of small changes. <laughs> and so you have to be willing to kind of want to stay with it. And I've learned a lot about that through this. And I'm so blessed and grateful for the people who said yes, who I reached out to with tears in my eyes, with my lip shaking in a very vulnerable, awkward spot in my life. A couple you know, a year and a half ago. And the fact that um, Daphne and Hartley and Tony and Stephen Baldy, and they said yes, i'll be forever grateful
1: michael it's been great to have you with us as a guest it's been an honor to have you we wish you a lot of success we'll definitely have to keep up with the progress that you make and yes it is an a long tail game and a lot of perseverance and a lot of iterations uh dojo live we've been in existence for six years now but over two thirds of our guests only happened in the past couple of years, so it just goes to show how things accelerate once you yeah. start to sort of crack the code a little bit. Uh, yeah. And this guy over here, he's the guy who had the foresight to to think about making it happen. I'm trying to do the Brady Bunch <laughs> thing; it's not the working. Brady Bunch. <laughs> so, Carlos, speaking of the devil, Carlos, <laughs> hey, tell us what's coming up for the rest of the week. What do we got coming up?
3: Of course. We have uh, tomorrow, we have Squat Locker, and this is with its uh, founder and CEO, Gary Goldberg, to talk about disrupting youth sports through tech. That's tomorrow. And then on Thursday, the conversation will be with ProQuo AI, with uh, its CTO and head of growth, Pete Harvey. These are two people, two guests, Pete Harvey. And sersha sadek i hope i pronounce it correctly respectively cto head of growth and the topic building a fearless team from scratch so that's what we have for this week folks so stay tuned right here in dojo live <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> and of course thank you guys and thanks michael for having been with us today May please michael some. yeah and please michael uh stay with us as we go off the air and uh other than that Thanks, everyone, and stay safe. See you tomorrow.
0: See you tomorrow. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.